1 Corinthians 11, 22 to 26. What, do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper that Jesus presided over was nothing specifically new. Jesus had been taking the Passover meal a long time. Um, I'm sure of it being a Jew. And the Passover meal had been going on a long time before Jesus. It was the traditional Passover meal that you took with your family and your close friends. And Jesus, as Scripture tells us, respected tradition. In Jesus' time, the Jews observed Passover, the Passover feast, once a year. And they took this meal as an opportunity to remember and to celebrate and to think about God's leadership in their lives, especially his um, deliverance um, from the bondage of Egypt. And the feast began, of course, with the eating of the unleavened bread. And then the head of the home would stand up and would take a chalice, one single cup, and he would pass the cup to the firstborn son. And the oldest son would hold the cup up and ask the friends and the family and those gathered, specifically the head of the household, why they are celebrating this meal. And the oldest son would then pass the cup and it would go to the head of the household and he would then explain why they're celebrating this meal. And then they would pass the second cup and then they would eat and they would pass the third cup. And it's during the passing of this third cup that Christ instituted this Lord's Supper that we remember today. To me, it is interesting and it is pertinent, it is spiritual and it is sacred, perhaps holy even, that we remember that they all drank from one chalice. They didn't each have their individual cups. They all drank from one chalice. The Greek word underscores that fact. Now, there's a reason we've changed, sanitary reasons, and, and some denominations haven't changed. Catholics haven't changed. I'm not advocating that we return to one cup. Sometimes we do that on special occasions. We have one single chalice on Advent or Easter. I'm not advocating we do that now. Now is not the time. But I am asking you to reconsider, to think about perhaps with... Uh, the eyes of your heart to imagine this morning that we still do use one single cup. Suppose now that each of you holds the chalice in your hands and with the faith of old solemnities, recapture what it meant and what it felt like. And the question for us this morning is, what do you see? What do I see? What do we see when we look into the cup? I think the first thing we see is the face of Christ. Martin Luther said 
the very spiritual presence of Christ enters the cup when it's blessed. Of course, that would be the case that we would see Jesus in the cup because without him there is no hope. When we commune with our risen Lord through this ceremony, we attempt to see what Paul saw when he said, I've seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you look closely into the cup, you will see how he looks exactly. The expression on his face. Scripture defines him in the cup, outlines him as a man of sorrows. He is not sorrowful because of the suffering he had to endure or because of his sins. He had none. Now he's a man of sorrows because of the existence of our sins. The sin in our lives. He knows the cancer of sin that is eating up our lives and our hearts, and he's crushed by this. And a deeper examination would reveal that this is not a man of anger on his face, but a man of sorrow. And too often, right, in our society, we confuse Jesus' sorrow with his anger. We want to take stands. We want to raise our fists up in solemnity with Christ. We want to say, well, um, love the sinner, hate the sin. And we extend the cup. But that is not what we see in the face of Christ, nor in the teachings of Christ. In fact, that old saying is proven a lie in the New Testament. Nowhere. Does Jesus advocate hating of anything? He understands how hard it is. He understands the great curse that is on us. He understands that that message lived out could be bad. He understands that the only thing that hating does is produce more hate. If you look closer, I think, you'll see a smile. In this man of sorrows, there is a smile. I like to think it is a smile of a friend. He told his disciples in the upper room, Now I no longer call you servants, but friends. Surely it must be a smile of understanding and of love, of grace and of kindness. A smile from one who knows that we are all broken and frail. He knows our nature promulgates that deep inner frailty and he understands he was one of us. He was God with skin on. He smiles because he longs to take that hurt and that pain and that sin away from us. And he knows he can. Hence the smile. But if we look closer into the communion cup. I think we see other people. One of the interesting characteristics about communion is that it is always done with other people. You can never take communion alone. 
at least one other person is always present. The single cup, though, reminds us of the fellowship we have with believers, of the fact that we can't do it by ourselves, that we, we, we can't celebrate the Lord's Supper by ourselves, we can't live the Christian life by ourselves. This whole notion that, that the, 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 the creation is our church is wonderful, or this thing that we have in our society where we go it alone with God, or this jadedness of the institution, or how churches filled with hypocrites is, is, might be all true. But we cannot experience the Christian life, this cup tells us, without each other. We can't do it. It's impossible. We can't experience God in the way that he intends for us to experience him without community, without church. Only by coming together to worship him. We can have other communities, but only by coming together to worship him and to serve him can we experience the true fullness of God. It's where we understand the depths of God. It's where we understand that we might be different, but together we are the same. It's one of the things I love about this church specifically is that it has this way we do of loving the individual. It's so easy in other churches to focus on small differences and to, to segregate groups. And I've seen it done so many times and so well. We're so good at it as Baptists, but not here. We love the individual, and I would encourage you and tell you not to miss that. And through this process, through the pleasure and honor of being your pastor, I've come to realize that this is a, a, a specific characterization or characteristic about this church, the way it loves one another. Somehow we've grasped the notion that that in order to advance the kingdom, we have to love one another. That in order to love the world, we have to love one another. Jesus' prayer for the church in John 17, before he was crucified, of course, was for unity. And I think we do that. I, I know we do that here. And I have to tell you, I'm not just saying this, but it's revolutionary. It's not like other churches I think God likes that. I think he honors that. I think he respects that. I think he blesses that. I think when Satan sees that, he cowers and the spirit swells. I think when he sees that, he decides it's not worth the hassle when he goes somewhere else. That's why Mary and I, I've been walking around this building just trying to take in the last few weeks deep breaths. Walking around the church, experiencing people and taking them in long, deep breaths, understanding that it's the spirit at work and living here and the hearts and lives of the people of this church. These I've been experiencing are the people that are advancing the kingdom with our help, with love. And I realize that I can't experience God without you. So look around to the people sitting beside you and next to you and in front of you and behind you 
These are the people that Jesus was talking about. This church, these people, you and me. The people, the exact people that Jesus was talking about when he said, together the gates of hell won't stop them. I think you were single-handedly, I know, you were single-handedly tearing down the gates of hell. And that's what's going on here. So take a deep breath. When you look into this cup, you see the man of sorrows. You see a smile on his face. You see other people. You see the world. And you see yourself. You just have to. There's something about the, there's something about the liquid that is a mirror reflection. Like looking into a pond and you see yourself. Somehow the cup enables you, somehow in this holy and sacred way, it enables you to see who you really are. Deep down inside, Paul says that everyone should examine themselves or look, the Greek is bare, look at their hearts before they come to the table. In this passage we're looking at today, it's so interesting to me that immediately before Jesus institutes this new Lord's Supper, he tells his disciples that somebody is going to betray him. Somebody, he says, sitting around this table, one of you is going to betray me. And the response of the disciples is even more interesting. They all look around and they all think to themselves, could it be me? That means they all thought and they all knew that they had the capacity, that it was within their realm of ability to betray him. That if it wasn't the person sitting next to them, that it very well could be them. They all thought that. They all looked around and said, could it be I? They looked at Jesus and said, surely it isn't I. And I think in order to come to the cup properly, we look and we see ourselves and we ask that very same question. Individually, collectively, as the church universal, is it I that has failed you in thought and what I have left undone in my deeds deep inside my heart? Where evil lurks, it is of I that have forsaken you with my actions. Is it I who have put the frown on your face because of my sin? And of course, of course, every time, every time we ask that question, every time we see ourselves and that question hits us, the Lord's response is always yes. Yes, it is. And that is the very reason we take it. I pass it to you. You pass it to me. Our frail, sin-filled fingertips from one person to the next touch it and we each ask is it I we get the same response 
back from the Lord. And we take the cup and we drink it because we know that this man of sorrows cleanses us together. And like the old hymn says, we can sing together just as I am. Thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, wilt pardon, wilt cleanse, relieve, because thy promise, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. That is the vision that we have when we look into the cup. So will we come to the cup this morning? Will we have that vision? See that man. See each other. And see ourselves. Let's pray. God, since I've been here, and appropriately so, we've talked... So much about vision, so much about where we want to go and who we are and who we want to be. We talk about that as a church and about that in our own personal lives. And I was thinking this morning, God, uh, maybe, maybe I've got it all wrong. the only vision we need to see, the only vision I have or should have or we should have is straighten the cup. It's all we need to know. In your son's name we pray.